Well, guys, you may have a seat. We're going to continue this series we've been doing in the book of First Peter, and so uh, we'll spend the bulk of our time there together today. And um, if you got your Bibles, I encourage you just to uh, to grab them and follow along as we uh, as we get started. Uh, I've entitled today's message "What to Do When You're in the Fire." Peter is going to talk about these fiery trials that we are going to go through. And if you live for Jesus for any length of time, you are going to encounter various trials, uh, fiery trials, Peter calls them. He is going to tie what he's talking about today in chapter 4 back to something that he's talked about early on in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so I want to begin with this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, two verses in in chapter 1, verses 6 and verse 7. And he kind of talks to us about the purpose of trials and why God allows trials into our lives and how God's going to use those trials for, for his glory. Um, he talks to us about, in, in, in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the, the purpose of these trials. He says uh, in verse 6, in this uh, you rejoice. He's just talking about this salvation that God has for us, these things that we're going to go through. He says, but in this you will rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why would God allow believers to go through trials? Verse 7 gives us that answer. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that's been tested through the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is preparing us for eternity, and he is getting us ready to see him face to face. And God is going to do everything necessary to purify us and to get us ready so that when we see Jesus face to face, we are prepared for that moment. Uh, have you ever felt like that you're in the fire? You ever felt like that you're just going through this struggle and, and, and you're just in the middle of a fire and, and things are tough and you're struggling and you're not sure why God would allow these kind of things to happen? You're not sure of what's going on? Some of the fires that we go through are, are flash fires and, and they, they come up and, and then they, they seem to subside. But other fires that we go through are forest fires. We've got Brennan with us this morning. He's fighting forest fires up in, in Washington and Oregon and those areas. And, and those forest fires are stuff that start small and they just came to, to build and they just go on and on. And sometimes the only thing you can hope for is just to contain it and, and let it do its thing and, and burn out. Sometimes the fires we go through are flash fires. They, they come and they hit us and then they move on. And others are like these forest fires that just try to consume everything in their paths. And I want us to talk about today what to do when we're in the fire. Uh, What we do, and and here's the truth. If you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to walk through some fires. It's It's inevitable. Scripture says if you want to live a godly life, you're going to face some persecutions. If you want to walk with God, you're going to go through some trials. If you want to walk with Jesus, what we're going to see Peter say today is that there's going to be some fires that God sets in your life. Not to harm you, not to destroy you, but to purify you and to make you more and more like Jesus. We don't like to think of God as an arsonist, as God as a, a guy who goes around setting fires. But his fires are very strategic, and, and they have a purpose, and he's going to set these fires to accomplish some things that need to be accomplished in our lives. So if you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to face some fires. If your faith is genuine, you're going to face some fires. Think, think about this. 
if we are not running on a collision course with our world, we really ought to be asking the question, why not? Is it that our world is so holy that they're just walking in step with us? Or is it that we're so unholy that we're walking in step with it? If we want to live a godly life, sooner or later we're going to, we're going to have a collision with our world. Sooner or later, our, our faith that we profess with our mouth is going to be tested in the way that we live and the way that we respond. And so here he says, listen, Peter says, the, the reason for the trials in chapter 1 is to test your faith and to prove it genuine, to prove it pure. And in so doing, you bring glory and honor to the Lord. That's why we go through fires, and that's why we go through trials. These fires and these trials will test the genuineness of our faith and prove it to be more precious than gold that's been refined by the fire. So today's passage, if we could kind of put it into two main things that it's going to try to accomplish, this part in chapter 4, two main things that Peter's setting out to do today is to do this, is to tell us what we should expect as children of God, and then number two, how we can benefit from these trials that we are going to go through. Uh, first of all, let's look at First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He starts with a very tender word, beloved. He's, he's writing to those that he loves and those that God loves. And he wants to make it clear that before he ever introduces this concept of these fiery trials, that he's talking to those that God loves, that God cares for deeply. And he says this, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Here's what happens if we're not prepared and if we're not aware of what God's doing, we will encounter a trial and that trial will leave us surprised. Oh my gosh, why am I having to go through this? All I want to do is live for Jesus. Why do I have to suffer? And we can be surprised as if something strange were happening to us. And Peter says, I want you to see right up front that you're going to face some fiery trials. I don't want you to be surprised by these trials. And I don't want you to think that something strange is happening. Where's God? Why am I suffering? I'm just trying to do good. Why am I going through this fire? And yet that's the way many Christians respond. For, for, for ages, man has wrestled with the question, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever ask that question? Why do bad things happen to good people? I've got an answer for you. To make them even better. say, what? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? First of all, there's nobody good. But, but, but good in our standards, why do, why do bad things are, are allowed to happen to good people who are just trying to live for Jesus? Because God is trying to make them even better. And if we don't understand that concept, then we are going to be surprised every single time a trial comes up. We, we've lived in a culture that, that, that basically has said, and, and even in the Jewish culture of, of Jesus' day and of, of Peter's day, that if you do good, good things are going to happen. And that's not reality, and that's not true. Ultimately, it's going to work out for your good, but, but it's going to require some, some trials and some tribulations and some fires before you get there. And so here we go. We're, we're, we're going to say this passage. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial." He doesn't say if it comes, but when it comes. So let's start by looking at what is this fiery trial. 
Is he just talking about the, the, the response of the world to us as believers? That could be part of it. But he's talking about fires that, that God may set in your life. Fires that God may walk you through in order to accomplish a purification that leaves you even more holy. Sometimes we think, can God really accomplish anything good through a fire? Can God really do anything good? We've been taught that, that fire is painful. As a little kid, what are you told? Don't touch the stove. Why? It'll hurt you. Fire is painful. But guys, listen, we need to understand this. Fire is also purifying. Fire is not just painful, but it is is purifying. And sometimes it's through the fire and through the pain that we are purified and made more and more like Jesus. I read an illustration that a pastor used. He said that, 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 that we are a lot like iron ore. It's taken out of the ground and, and in there is some good metal. But mixed in with that metal are some impurities, some things that, are, that are, are mixed in with that. And when you just take a chunk of iron ore, you can't tell the difference between the good and the bad. They're both there together and they live together in that clump. And it's hard to distinguish between the two until you put it in the fire. And when you put it in the fire and you heat it up to a certain temperature, all of a sudden fire separates those two components. Silversmith will tell you this. You take silver that's, that's got impurities in it and you heat it up and, and the impurities rise to the surface. And, and, and so what fire does is fire separates. And, and, and we need to understand this, that, that it separates us from our sin, but it also separates us from the world. And so Peter says, God's going to put you through some fires, and it's going to separate. There's things that are within us, guys, that we don't even know are there until we walk through the fire. There's impurities in our lives. There's things that we, that we, we have allegiances to God, but to other things. We, we love the Lord, but we also love some other things. And fire separates those things. Fire has the ability, of when, you, when you put it in the pot and you, you, let it, you let that fire heat it up, fire separates. And Peter's going to talk to us today about that separation. Now, under a normal circumstance, you hold that piece of iron ore in your hand and, and, and it's just a mixture of those two components. And, and, and they can stay there together. They can coexist together. But when you add the fire, the fire separates those things. The metal from the dross. And it allows for the purification of the metal. And that metal comes out the other side even more valuable. Let's make a spiritual application to this. When God allows us to go through the fire, whether it's the fire of the persecution of the world or or just a a trial or something that God puts us through to, 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 to separate us from our sin. He uses that for our good. The Bible makes it clear that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Many times we don't even know what's down deep inside of us. And if we don't go through a fire, we will never know what's there. But God knows. Because God can see into us and God knows what's inside of us. And so when God looks at us, he sees both the pure and the impure. And and, and in normal circumstances, on a good day, when everything's going right, those two things just kind of mingle and and can coexist. I can say all day long, man, I love Jesus and and I would die for my faith and I I would do anything for God. And then the fire comes. And all of a sudden, I've got a choice to make. 
Do I stand for my faith or do I die? Do I stand for what I believe in or do I laugh at that joke? Do I stand for what I believe in or do I make that compromise at work? And the fire comes and and, and there's a division, a gap between what I say and how my heart wants to respond. And there's a reason for that separation so that God can deal with the wickedness of my heart. You say, well, I'm a Christian. My heart's not wicked. Maybe you need to reread Romans chapter 7. Maybe you need to look again at the struggle that Paul had long after he came to Christ. Where he says, man, the very things that I want to do, I I never do them. And those things that I say I hate and that I'll never do again, I'm doing them again and again. There's There's this battle within me between my flesh and the spirit. And the spirit wants one thing and the flesh wants another. And we're constantly at odds with one another. We don't know our hearts until we go through the fire. And when we go through the fire, it separates and it exposes what's really there. And it doesn't do that to defeat us. It does that so that God can skim off the dross. He can pull away the evil. He can expose it to us. And you go, ooh, I don't like the way that looks in my life. God, can we fix that? Can we change that? Can you, can you do this work in my heart? And so our hearts are divided. To one degree or another, our hearts are divided. They are impure. We have mixed allegiances. We love the Lord, but we also like us some world. And under normal circumstances, when everything's going good, it's easy for those two things just to kind of coexist. It's easy to say, man, I love Jesus, when that's a popular thing to do, when we're in the walls of this church. But then we go out in the workplace, and the match is struck, and the fire is lit, and all of a sudden what I said on Sunday is put to test on Monday. And that fire brings some things to the surface sometimes that I don't want to admit that are there, that sometimes I don't even know are there. In Malachi chapter 3, the end of the Old Testament, God is calling his people to account for their sins. And he's going down this laundry list of how that they've rejected God and they've turned their back on God and they've done their own things and and you've robbed me by stealing the tithe from the offerings. And and, and he's talking to them about all these things. And you know what their response is? You remember what their response was when he he goes down this laundry list of things that they've done? They're like, "What what are you talking about? We're not stealing from you. We're, 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 we haven't turned our back on you. We don't have other gods. Our, our worship's not worthless. What, what are you talking about? They really didn't see it. But God called them to account, and he brought to the surface what was going on inside of them so that they could repent and change, and their worship could become worship. And their hearts could become undivided. And their allegiance could be to to God alone, above and beyond anything else in their lives. They couldn't even see it in themselves. The, The very sin that he was pointing out was the sin that had blinded them to their faults. And our sin tends to blind us as well. I can see sin in others a whole lot easier than I can see sin in myself. 
And it's not till we go through the fire that we know, that we know what's really going on inside of us. Sometimes we go through the trial and it brings out the worst in us. And that's why God let you go through the trial. To show you that you still haven't arrived. That there's still work to be done inside of you. That's what Romans 7 is all about. Paul's saying, I haven't arrived. Paul's writing half the New Testament. He's, he's mentoring pastors all over his world. He is, he is suffering. He's being stoned. He, Paul is going through the fire. And he says, every fire I go through shows me a little bit more about myself. And so Paul can say, not in a false modesty, but in all reality, I am the, I am the worst of all sinners. Why is Paul saying that? Because every time he goes through a fire, he sees there's something in his flesh that wants to do this or to do that that's contrary to what God wants him to do. And yet that stuff comes to the surface. And and Paul allows God to, 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 to skim off the dross. And you and I look at Paul and say, man, he's a godly dude. But Paul says, that's because you can't see inside my heart. But I see it every time I go through a fire. I see it every time I go through this thing. And, 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 and so we, we go through these, these struggles. And you say, well, man, couldn't God just look at us and say, well, you know, let those two things coexist and we'll sort them out in the end. I guess God could, but that's not God's nature. God has terms for this when these, these things commingle. He calls it being lukewarm. A little bit of hot and a little bit of cold, just mix them together. And God says, if you're lukewarm, man, I just want to spew you out of my mouth. That's not what I'm after. He has the term that he uses where he calls us hypocrites, two-faced. You're this way with this group and this way with this group. And you say you love Jesus, but you don't show it when you go to work. And you're a hypocrite. You're two-faced. Two parts. The book of James talks about us being double-minded. We think one way and we think another way. And we've got this battle going on inside of us. Those are not good terms, but they describe the human heart. They describe even us as believers. And so this process of God bringing things to the surface and, and, and skimming off the dross is, is what we call sanctification, where God is purifying us and making us more and more like Jesus. And Peter says the way that God does that is through these fiery trials. So don't be surprised if they come. He's not just saying don't be surprised if the world hates you. He's, he's already said that, and he'll say that again. But you may be doing everything right, and there's going to be a trial that's going to pop up in your life. And that's God's gracious way of bringing stuff to the surface that he can skim off and leave you even more pure. It's a lifelong process, but it involves fire. And fire brings pain before it brings purification. So fire causes this separation bringing the dross to the surface so God can, 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 can take away the impurities. And this suffering and this trial and this fire, it accomplishes three things in our life. And this is where I want to focus our attention today. What, what's the purpose of trials? What's the purpose of fires? What's the purpose of pain in my life? The first is, is, is real simple and pretty obvious, and that is that it reveals what's deep within. Trials reveal what's deep within. It's easy to love people that love you. But you let somebody stab you in the back. You let somebody hurt you. You let somebody gossip about you. You let somebody do something that costs you something. And all of a sudden this stuff begins to well up in you that's anything but godly. 
fire, trials, tribulations, it reveals what's hidden deep within. It also shows us what we're really putting our trust in. It shows us where, where, where we're trusting and, and what our allegiances are. It shows us what we're looking to for our identity and what holds our true allegiance. The second thing it does is it shows us the inadequacy of those lesser things. It shows us the inadequacies of, of the lesser things that we put our trust in, things that we look to that can't sustain us, that, that can't satisfy us, that can't, that can't meet what we need. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. Those lesser things. And the third thing it does is to reveal our desperate need for God. Our need for Him. And in so revealing that to us gives us the opportunity to repent and to be more pure. It tests us to see if what we say is what we truly believe. And if there's a difference, if there's a gap, if there's a separation, to discard the dross and to cling to what's pure. So how does that work? Well, again, under normal conditions, those things can coexist. They can be there together. My allegiance to God and my allegiance to lesser things can coexist. They can be mingled together. I can have a divided heart and not even know it. I can say, man, I love God. I can even believe with all my heart that I love God. But it's not until I go through the fire that I really know if I do or if I don't. It's not until I go through the fire that I, I even become aware sometimes that there's other allegiances in my life. And when the fire comes and the separation takes place and this gap emerges between what I say and what my heart desires, then all of a sudden I've got a choice to make. Am I going to feed my flesh or am I going to feed the spirit? Am I going to follow the flesh or am I going to follow the spirit? There's this gap that takes place and that gap requires a choice because no longer can those two things exist. No longer can I say I love God with all my heart if I'm willing to compromise to have this stuff of the world. Those two things can no longer coexist. There's a separation and I've got to choose between those two. I'll give you an example. We, we, we put a lot of value, a lot of our identity, a lot of weight into our careers, what we do. So let's say you're a believer and your, your heart's intent, your profession of your lips is that I want to live for Jesus in everything that I do. I want to live for Jesus at church, in my neighborhood, in my community, and I want to live for Jesus at work. And then you go to work. And you get there, and it's not long before somebody at work says, look, man, we got this issue that, that, that I need you to sign off on, and, and I know it's not, it's not right, but we need, I just need you to sign the form. I just need you to, to put your little signature on this and, 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 and sign off and, and, and agree to this compromise. And all of a sudden, you say, I love Jesus with all my heart. They want me to do this compromise. And all of a sudden, we begin to weigh out how much that job means to me. Does that job mean more to me than my integrity and my faith? And we try to justify, well, man, if I don't do this, then, then, then I can lose my job. And if I lose my job, my family might not have food, and my family might not have food. We're going to go hungry, and we're going to be on food. And we run the, the gamut of ways to try to justify our sin. 
to justify the compromise, to justify doing something that, that, that contradicts what we have said with our mouth is, is our top priority. And in that moment, we are in the fire. What I say I believe, what I, who I say that I am, is now being separated from what my heart really is tempted to do. And there's a separation. And I can't love God with all my heart and compromise like that at work. And at that moment, you're in the fire. And the fire requires a choice. Which way we're going to go and what we're going to do. Let's use our career as another example. You, you, have, you have worked for the company for 50 years. You have given them everything you've got. You have poured in day after day after day. And now you show up at work and guess what they say? Hey, we've just eliminated your position. But, but I'm a year from retirement. You just, your position's gone. Some of you have been there. You've given them the best of what you've got. You, you've worked with integrity. You've done it right. And now you walk in and something that you value, something that you've counted on, something that you've invested in, something that you have put a whole lot of effort and energy into, by no fault of your own, it's gone. It's gone. We've eliminated your position. We're downsizing the company. We've re- reorganized. And we don't need you. You're gone. And in that situation, there's a temptation to get mad at God and go, God, what? What? How could you let this happen to me? I've honored you at work. I've lived for you at work. I've witnessed. I've carried my Bible. I've done it all. How can you let this happen to me? One fire at work is because you refused to give in, and it cost you. The other fire at work is that you've done everything right, and now for no fault of your own, it's just gone. And it's easy to get bitter and to shake your fist at God and say, God, this is not fair and this is not right. And how could you do this to me? But in that moment, you've got to choose. Am I going to be angry with God or am I going to trust that my God is still on the throne and that he can still take care of me and my family? Is my source and my supplier that employer? Or is my source and my supplier my God? And I can't have both. And i got to make a choice. Fires always require a choice. They separate two things, and they require us to choose between the two. And that's when we're going through the fire. Now, sometimes we choose right, and sometimes we choose wrong. When we choose right, man, that's an encouragement to us, and we're, we're seeing the purity of our faith come to the surface. Sometimes we choose wrong, and we go, oh, gosh. And God has to skim off the dross. And get rid of that to leave us more pure. But in both situations, we learn just how much our heart are tied to other things. And it may not just be your job, but it may be a relationship. It may be your wealth. You've, you've invested and all of a sudden all those investments just vanished in the stock market. And you go, whoa, what happened? Why me, God? And so Peter says here, don't be surprised. Tim Keller says, it's not the grief of the loss that will destroy you. It's the surprise. The surprise is what causes us to shake our fist at God. 
The surprise is what causes us to, to not be prepared to make the right decision when that, that fire comes and the decision has to be made. So why does God allow these fires? Number one, to reveal our true hearts. But the second reason is this, to reveal that these lesser things cannot sustain us. They are inadequate. That job may not be there tomorrow. That person that you've spent your whole life trying to impress may be gone like that or may turn on you even quicker. That wealth that you spent your whole life trying to accumulate could be gone with one downturn of the stock market. The things that we put our value in can can be gone in, in a heartbeat. And, and, and the purpose of these fires is to remind us that those things are temporary and those things cannot be taken with us. And we need to spend our lives building on things that will last forever. And fires remind us of that. That those things are inadequate, that they can't satisfy, they can't sustain us. And it's when the, when the things that I put my trust in are threatened or are lost that I realize just how much weight I had given them. Just how much of my allegiance was devoted to that thing versus God. Things like your career, your health, can change in a heartbeat. One phone call from the doctor, and it seems like your world can change. One massive medical bill, and your financial situation can, can be totally reversed. Your career, your health, your wealth, Your fame, your status, your pleasure, your power, other people's opinions, things that we say we can't live without. And they're gone in a heartbeat. Fires can remind us of what's important. As a chaplain for the fire department, I've been on scene of many, many house fires. And I hear something said oftentimes at a house fire by those who've run out and escaped with the clothes on their back. You go to try to comfort them, and here's what many of them will say. Well, at least we got out. It's a total loss. But at least we got out with what's important. We got out with our lives. You ever heard people say that? Total loss. And they go, well, at least we got out with our lives. That stuff doesn't matter. So if the stuff doesn't matter, why do we spend all of our lives trying to accumulate it? If it could be gone tomorrow, and we really believe that, if it could all just be gone, why do we spend so much of our lives, so much of our energy, so much of us, To have something that we say, if it's gone, well, it doesn't really matter. It's just stuff. Same question could be asked about our spiritual life. Why do we spend so much spiritual energy, so much of our attention on lesser things instead of on the one that matters most? The fires reveal that lesser things are just that. Lesser things. So the fire shows us what's down deep inside but it also shows us that this stuff that we spend so much of our life investing in really doesn't matter in the long run jeremiah chapter 2 
God's people have turned to these false gods, and, and God just basically kind of washed his hands, man. And he's just like, you want false gods? You got it. And these guys go off chasing their false gods, and it leaves them bankrupt. It leaves them empty. It leaves them in danger. And they come running back to God going, hey, 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 hey. And God's like, whoa, wait, where's your gods? Where's your God? Let, let your gods save you. Those gods you've been chasing after, let them save you. Let them satisfy you. Let them protect you. And the people basically have to say, God, we realize those gods can't do that. Only you can. And sometimes that's what a fire does, is to remind me that the stuff of this world can't satisfy, that the stuff of the world can't do what, what, what God can do. And so even during the fire, sometimes it reminds us of the lesser things, that they're just lesser things. Let me ask you this question. What is it in your life that you would give anything to protect? you give anything to protect this thing or this person or this relationship. Is that thing or that person or that relationship a lesser thing? Could it be gone tomorrow? And if so, where would that leave you? You see, people who go through loss, whether it's a loss of a loved one or a loss of property or the loss of something else, and become hopeless and despondent and, and, and just crushed, you know what that reveals? That they're hopeless in something lesser. Our hope needs to be in Christ and in him alone because he's the only thing that will never leave us, that will never change. The third thing that these trials, these fires do is to provide us a chance to change. The dross comes to the surface and we can let that dross sit there and just cover us or we can let God remove that dross and leave us more pure. If we will allow God to remove the dross, allow change to come to make us different, then we can better reflect Christ and we can bring him glory and honor. As the fire reveals, it allows me to discard the dross, to to focus my allegiance truly upon Christ, to demonstrate a true faith that, that will choose him above all other things. So when the separation comes and we choose God, despite the risk of loss, because listen, there's always a risk involved in making this choice. If I go to work and, and they say compromise and I know I don't compromise, there's a risk that I could lose everything. Everything I've worked 30 years for could be gone. Even with the risk, would I choose God? You see, despite the, the risk or, or, or the persecution that could come, we demonstrate true faith when we choose God over all those things. Our faith is tested by the fire. It's proven to be genuine love, a faith that's unshakable, an allegiance that is single-hearted, and this can bring glory to God. Think about Stephen, early, early follower of Jesus, filled with God's Spirit, preaching an incredible sermon, and all of a sudden people are throwing stones. Stephen doesn't shrink back. He, he doesn't stop. He's, he's stoned without flinching. He's pelted, and yet he's still praying. He's being killed, and there's no sense of fear. Stephen had something that Paul didn't. 
Paul was willing to kill for his faith. But Stephen was willing to die for his. And that was a big gap. And and as Paul stood there, read through the book of Acts, read through Paul's letters, you see that Paul keeps going back again and again and again to the stoning of Stephen. It left this this, this indelible mark upon Paul's life. It was was a, a, a thing that he could never, ever get out of his mind, that here's a guy who was not only willing to kill for his faith, but was willing to die for his faith. And Stephen's obedience and Stephen's pure faith and Stephen's boldness and Stephen's commitment to Christ that did not flinch in the middle of the fire left an impact on Paul who would leave an impact upon the church for ages to come. That's what happens when we stand. That's what happens when we go through the fire and we don't flinch. When we go through the fire and what we say we believe is actually what we believe, it leaves a mark. Paul saw the genuineness of a man's faith. And it was different, separate from what Paul had. So Peter says in verse 12, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. If this is how God's going to grow us, and this is how God's going to glorify himself, then he says, expect that. Because here's what happens, guys. A godly faith is grown one fire at a time. One choice at a time. Have you ever noticed that just about the time you make the decision, you're going to be sold out and you're going to live for Jesus? And you, I mean, God grabs your heart and you go, Lord, I, this is it. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm never turning back. Things get worse instead of getting better. Have you ever noticed that? How many of y'all been through that? Lord, I'm going to live for you. And before you can get out the back door, it gets tougher. Normally what we hear said at that moment is, oh man, Satan's on my tail. <laughs> oh, devil doesn't like it when you try to live for Jesus. He, he's coming after me with everything he's got. Maybe we give Satan too much credit. Maybe it's not Satan coming after you. Maybe it's God just giving you that opportunity to prove what you've just said. Maybe it's God just giving you the opportunity to have that faith tested by fire to prove that it really is genuine. Maybe God's just revealing that even though you say you want to love him, there's still some stuff inside that we need to get out in order for that to happen. Maybe that, 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 struggle that comes when I choose to walk with God is not just Satan. Maybe it's God saying, here's your opportunity to prove it. You said it. Now here's your chance to prove it. And maybe we fail. And God says, that's all right. That's all right. There's grace to cover that. But I want you to see that you haven't arrived yet. A strong faith is made not with one decision, but with a million little decisions every single day. It comes when we say, Lord, I'm ready. And God says, all right, let's get to work. And the first thing he does is take you by the hand and walk you through the fire. And you go, whoa. And so what you're saying, Rob, is if I want to walk with Jesus, I'm going to walk through the fire? That's what I'm saying. And it's going to be painful. 
And you're going to grieve. But in that process, you're going to be made more like Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was made perfect, was made mature through his suffering. Guess how he makes us mature? It's through our sufferings. So here's what Peter's going to say. Look at, this, look at this verse. As we talk about this and we kind of go through it, just, I want you to think about what, what Peter's saying here in this, in this passage. There, there's so many metaphors the Scripture uses that, that, that communicate the same thing. He talks about this fire that we go through and, and the refiner's fire. He talks about a coach and an athlete that pushes that athlete beyond his limits and stretches him out. He talks about parents with children who discipline their children to teach them what's right and to, to ingrain in them what is, what is there. He talks about the, the vine dresser that prunes and, and, and all this green stuff laying on the ground. And you go, oh my gosh, he's butchering the vine. To the untrained eye, those things just seem cruel. A coach pushing a, an athlete to, almost to the point of exhaustion. Beyond what the, the athlete thinks that he can do to do something better. A parent who, who, who disciplines their children or, or spanks their child or does whatever they need to do to be able to help their child be more productive down the road. We look at this, and, and in every single situation, the person in charge is given the responsibility to bring out the best in that thing or that person. But when you look at what they do, you go, my gosh. Coach, do you have to be so, so, so hard? Do you have to be so insistent? Do you have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing? Mom and Dad, do you have to keep disciplining again and again? Isn't that cruel? Vine dresser, do you have to, that, that, that branch had some, some fruit on it. Do you have to cut everything back? And, and you look at it and you think, man, they're, they're going to kill it. But the one with the trained eye looks at it and goes, oh no, we're not killing it. We are, we are working with it to make it even more productive. And sometimes when we go through the fire, it feels like God's trying to kill us. And we wonder what God could have in mind and what purpose God could be doing even in the midst of this. What could God be trying to accomplish? This, this hurts. But Peter gives us three things we've got to do real quick if we're going to come through the fire and watch God work. In this passage, the first thing Peter says is do not be surprised. Expect this. Understand, listen, if we could get this in our mind, that this is God's process. This is how God grows us. This is how God matures us. If we could understand that, that's half the battle. That's half the battle. And so he says, look, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. It's there to test you and, and, and don't think that something strange is happening to you. This is God's process. This is, this, this is revealed. Jesus prepared the disciples for this. The disciples prepared the church for this. And, and the word of God comes to prepare us for this. It's amazed me this, much, this week as I've read back through a big portion of the New Testament to go, how many times the scripture actually talks about struggles and trials and all these things and, and the world's going to hate you and you're going to face this. And if you stand up for me and you desire to live a godly life, you're going to suffer persecution again and again and again. Scripture reminds us that this is a process. This is what God does, so don't be surprised. And when we understand that, that's half the battle. We're going to grieve because things that we have invested in, God's going to remove and say, you don't need that anymore. That's a lesser thing. And anytime we lose something, we grieve. And that grief is real. 
Scripture says that Jesus cried out with loud cries before the Father. We grieve. Surprise causes us to ask, how could that happen to me? Why me? Doesn't God love me? So how do we overcome the surprise? If Peter says, don't be surprised, how do you overcome surprise? By doing what we're doing here today. By being honest about what's going to happen and honest about what God takes us through in order to mature us and make us more like him. Surprise leads us to anger and bitterness and self-pity. But knowledge can lead us to progress and to growth and to purification. I don't think we should be surprised when we go through a fire. I don't think we should be surprised when we run head on into this world. And they want us to go one way and God calls us to go another way. That's, that's, we should be surprised if we don't. To live a godly life, guys, we're going to run into collision with our world. To live an ungodly life, you're going to run into a collision with God. So either way you go, you're going to have a collision. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've got a choice between whether to collide with this world or to collide with God, I think I want to choose to have a collision with the world. Because that world will give way, but God will not. So Peter says, if you're going to have a collision, better to have a collision with the world than with God. So don't be surprised when the collision occurs. You should be surprised if it doesn't. The second thing he says here in this passage is that in the midst of the fire, we need to obey and to trust. Let's read this passage real quick. Beloved, do not be surprised. Verse 12. At the fiery trial, when it comes upon you, to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This test was designed by God, he's saying. It's not a surprise. It shouldn't seem strange. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Just as he was made pure and perfect and mature uh, through his sufferings, so you and I now are getting to go through that same thing. But he says, listen, you share in his sufferings so that, here's the goal of the sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So that you can be pure, so that you can be sanctified, so that you can be more like Jesus because one day Jesus is coming back and you're going to see him. And you want to be ready for that. You want to be pure. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But here's the obedience. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or even as a meddler. What's he saying? Grab this. This is so important. When you and I get put into the fire and that separation occurs and the choice has got to be made, it is so much easier just to give in and go with the world. That's what Peter's saying. It's easier just to, when that choice comes, and, and, and you're at work, and they're, they're saying, you better do this or else. It's easier just to go, you know what? I'll do it, and I'll confess it later. I'll do it, and I'll repent later. It's so much easier to go with the world. Peter says, don't you, don't suffer as a sinner. Don't just give in to the sin. Don't turn to sin in order to escape the fire. Isn't it true that a lot of times you're going through the fire and you feel that struggle within and it's easier just to turn to that comfort sin? You know, the thing you go to that just gives you relief for just a little while? Sometimes it's to let those words fly. 
And then later you go, man, that wasn't what God wanted me to say. That wasn't how I should have responded. Sometimes it's turned into pornography or turned into other things in our lives that, that, that we just, it just brings us comfort for a moment. Sin has its kicks, but then it always has a kickback. And what Peter's saying here is don't turn to your sin. Don't turn to those things that just come natural. Don't turn and become like the world just to avoid the fire. But if you suffer, verse 16, suffer as a Christian and don't be ashamed. Glorify God in that name. Do what, do what Stephen did. Stick with, your, stick with it. Let the fire do its work. Let it purify you and let your response bring glory to God. You can't bring glory to God, you turn to sin. But if you turn to God and you let the fire do its work, you let the fire do its work, then you can bring glory to God. Look what he says here, verse 17. For it is time for judgment, purification, judgment to begin at the household of God. You see, we get that backwards. We think, man, God needs to judge this world. And God says, I think I'll start with the church. God just needs to clean up this world. And God says, I think I'm going to start by cleaning up my church. It's time for judgment to begin with us. For that purification to begin with us. And he says, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those that don't obey the gospel of God? In other words, if we barely escape the fire... As children of God, what's it going to be like for those that don't know Jesus, that don't obey the gospel? If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You think what you're going through is tough? You think this fire that you're facing is tough? Think about the fire of eternity and what awaits those who don't turn to Jesus. And then the third thing is in the last verse. And that is this, we've got to commit ourselves fully to God. Look what he says in verse 19. Therefore, what does that mean, Dalton? Always ask, what's it there for? He, he, he is tying it back in to everything he said. He's about to make his conclusion or his application here. He's about to say, this is, where, this is why this is so important. Because you're going to go through the fires. Because you're going to face tribulations. Because there's going to be separation. There's going to be choices to be made. Because all these things are true. Set your heart, set your goal, set this. If you're going to suffer, do it according to God's will. Do it in accord with God's will. If you're going to suffer, let it be for that which changes you and makes you more pure. Suffer according to God's will and entrust your soul to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. You know what he's saying? You got to commit yourself fully to God. Let the fire do its work. For most of us, we get close to the fire and we do everything we can to avoid that fire. Well, if I stand up for my faith at work, it's going to cost me my job. That's the fire. I don't want that to happen, so I'm just going to keep quiet. I mean, I'm just going to live nice and let them see me. Okay? 
What are you doing? You're avoiding the fire. Let the fire do its work. You're going to see some things that you don't like about yourself. You're going to fail and you're going to fall short. And, and, and the wickedness of your heart, the deceitfulness of your heart, the, the, the tricks that your heart play on you are begun, become to the surface. They're going to they're become evident. And, and you're not going to like that. And God's going to say, I got this. I got this. I've seen it all along. Now that the fire's there, I'm going to take that away. And you're going to be better for this. Let the fire do its work. And you come out the other end changed. You come out the other end different. Commit to the Lord. Entrust your soul to the Lord. And continue to do good. Fires are going to come, guys. What are you going to do when the separation occurs? And the choice has to be made. Peter says, is it risky? Absolutely. Commit that to the Lord. Lord, if I stand up and I live wholeheartedly for you and it costs me my job, okay, God, I'm trusting you to provide for my family. Lord, if I stand up for you and I get arrested, God, if I stand up for you and I get killed, okay, God, I'm entrusting my soul to you. You made me for this. You made me for this. You won't know the allegiances of your heart. You won't know the true condition of your heart until you walk through the fire. And that fire will be painful. But if you will allow it, that fire will be purifying. And it will forever leave you different than you came. You're not going to face just one fire. But here's the good thing about God. The Bible says in the Old Testament, he is a God who walks through the fire with us. With us. Let's pray.